0: I wonder how many of you remember a first date. How many of you remember a first date? Uh, here's what we're thinking on first dates. How do I impress the person sitting across from me? Or wonder what they like, what... What might be their preferences? What might I do to win them over and develop a relationship with them? Or the other thing you're thinking is, uh, I hope that I don't screw this up. How do I not screw this up? Uh, I hope that I don't pick, uh, the wrong movie or order something that embarrasses me on the menu. I remember, uh, one of my first date experiences with my now lovely bride Hannah and I was hanging out with her, and I wanted to show her a series of YouTube videos that I thought were really funny, and I was kind of worried that she would think they were really stupid. Uh, and I showed them to her. They were these old 1980s exercise videos, and someone had done a voiceover and made them really hilarious. And I thought, oh, she's going to think this is stupid. But she laughed hilariously at the uh, videos, and she didn't find out that I was stupid until it was later and too late. <laughs> but imagine, imagine this scenario. You're on a first date. And you're sitting across from a person you've just met, and they're sitting there very quietly, silently, uh, kind of staring into space, and they slide you across the table a packet of paper that is stapled together, and you look down, and the packet is labeled, How to Have a Relationship with Me. Imagine that. And they just remain silent and still and somber. Now, here's what you would think. They're not relational. This isn't relationship material. They're a robot. (laughs) This is a robot who just handed me their instruction manual, right? It's funny, uh, but it's true. It's funny because it's true. But here's the thing. We actually sometimes think about our relationship with a relational God in this way. We do. We fall prey to this. We can sometimes feel a little bit more comfortable with a list of, how to impress God and have a relationship with him, carrying out some kind of to-do list, than we are with simply being vulnerable in the Lord's presence. So here's what we do. We make our time for prayers. We read a chapter of the Bible here or there. We go to church. And we do that because we feel like it's the checklist that we have to do to have a relationship with God. And on and on goes our mental guide for how to have a relationship with God. And all the while, we forget that the God we're trying so hard to please and so hard to win over is present with us already in Jesus. And this is what I want to talk about today. The danger of this kind of mentality and how we slip into it and there's a two fold big danger to this. So, we're going to talk about two different dangers today when it comes to falling into this temptation. Now, this is a serious temptation for everybody, clergy included, and I will personally confess to you that I fall into this mentality more often than I'd like to admit. Now, this is a big issue in the Bible. It's not new, it's a big issue in the Bible. And it comes to light in some very interesting ways and some very illuminative ways in the gospel stories of Jesus' encounter with different people. Maybe some of you remember the story of uh, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a young, pious Jewish man, Jewish like Jesus, and he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is... Show me the instruction manual for how to have a relationship with God, right? And Jesus says, well, you know the checklist. You know the law. You know the commandments. Do not steal. Do not kill. Honor your father and mother. And he says, oh, yes, Lord, yes. I've kept all of those since my youth. I've kept all of those. So it's very interesting that he's still approaching Jesus because he feels like there's something more. But what he actually wants is just another checklist to do. He's just a goody two-shoes who wants to fill in his duties and say, I've done everything it takes to have a relationship with God. And Jesus, and Mark tells us this detail. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then Jesus said to him, you lack one thing, you're too attached to your stuff. And what you actually need to do is detach yourself from your stuff and attach yourself to me. That's what you need to do. To inherit eternal life. And it says that the young man goes away sad because he was too attached to his riches. You see, he couldn't accept the vulnerability that Jesus invited him into. Now, it's the same kind of situation, very similar situation in the gospel passage that we heard today, but this time it's with Jesus' own disciples his inner circle of disciples. And we hear from two of them today. Now, here's the context. Jesus is explaining that he's going away somewhere. Now, I don't think his disciples still, they still don't actually understand he's talking about his death. Um, And they, for whatever reason, are still confused about that. But he's telling them, I'm going away somewhere and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to return for you. And then he says to them, you actually know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, Jesus, how can we know the way You haven't shown us the way. How can we know the way? You haven't given us the instruction manual for how to have a relationship with God and win his heart over. How can we know the way? How are we supposed to get to God? And Jesus says to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way. If you want to find the way to God's heart, look long and hard at me. Be with me. Then then he says this. If you know me, you will know my father also. What? Hold on a minute. This is such an outrageous statement that it elicits a request from another disciple named Philip. And Philip says, Father, Jesus, well, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Just show us the father. Like, don't you have like an incantation or something you can do or a little wand and you can like, poof, and he'll appear. You guys seem to be on a name-to-name basis. You know each other really well. And Jesus response is the kind of response that if one of your friends or someone that you knew today said this sort of thing you would call uh, the local mental health facility and say hey i'm on my way with a new patient for you get ready this is what jesus says it's absolutely crazy he says the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own but the father who dwells in me does his works now listen to what he says next believe me that i am in the father And the Father is in me. You see what Jesus is saying to all of these people? There's no checklist, people. There's no instruction manual that you can follow to work your way into a relationship with God. Because I am the way. And if you want to know how to get to the Father, come to me. Because we are one. You've encountered the Father. Thomas, Philip, you've encountered the Father. In fact, his presence is right here with you. He's come to you, and you don't understand this yet, but he's come to you to die for your sins so that you can be with the Father. That means you can't work your way to him. There's no way, there's no instruction manual that you can find. In fact, he's come to win you over to himself. So, here's the danger. Number one, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus we fall prey to the mentality that we have to work our way into God's presence. That there's something in our effort that makes God say, okay, now you can have my presence. And here's why that's dangerous. It's joyless. It's a joyless spirituality. It's drudgery. Because God hasn't handed us an instruction manual for how to have a relationship with him. He's handed us his only beloved son who died on a cross, who did the work so that you and I could be forgiven and have the ongoing presence of a holy and just and perfect God. So when you read or pray or engage in spiritual disciplines, you shouldn't be doing them. If you are a Christian, you shouldn't be doing them to earn God's favor, but because you have God's favor. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing it to earn God's delight because God already delights in you. Listen to what one author says. I love this. Meditate on Jesus, who is the ultimate meditation of God. Look at him loving you. Look at him dying for you. Look at him rejoicing in you. Looking at him singing over you. Look at all that, and he will be a delight to you. Now, the disciples were in the Father's presence by being with Jesus. It was right literally in front of them, and they didn't recognize it. And the same thing can happen to us. We forget that in Jesus that we have been incorporated into Jesus and have the Father's presence all of the time, everywhere. But it does take a kind of faith to wake up to this reality. It does take faith, and not the faith that says, yeah, I believe that in my head, that's a nice idea, I like that, I I actually, I assent to that, I, I believe that. Not that kind of faith, because faith is actually... Not that. Faith is actually a kind of relational term that deals with trust. One of our former archbishops of Canterbury, uh, he says it like this, faith is, a, faith is dependable relationship. Faith has to do with a dependable relationship. Now listen to something he writes. I think this is beautiful. He says, you may not understand in other who does tongue, but you learn somehow to be confident in a presence in other. Who does not change or go away. You realize that when the signposts and the landmarks have been taken away, there is a presence that does not let you go. That presence is the Jesus who never stops giving himself to us. The Jesus who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now here's the big, big danger About all of this. And this issue uh, is kind of a microcosm of a bigger issue with the gospel itself that puts the very substance of the gospel at stake. And here's how. Because when we forget that we are accepted by God because of what Jesus has done, solely what Jesus has done, we forget that we're loved by God and have God's presence and His mercy with us always. When we forget that God delights in us because we share in His Son's own beauty and holiness. When we forget that, we actually start living in a way as if we had to earn our own salvation. We actually start to live that way because, see, it's possible to say in your head, I know that Jesus died for me and I know that it's not what I've done. It's by God's grace and through faith. But to know that in your head and to have that reality sunk in your heart are two different things are two different things. Now, Paul, St. Paul of all people, knew about this issue, and so he had to hammer this into Christians in the early first century. Listen to what he said to some Christians, uh, a small church in Rome. He says this, While we were still weak, that is, while we were completely dependent, while we couldn't do anything for ourselves to get ourselves to God, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Then he says this beautiful thing God proves his love for us God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners Christ died for us while we were sinners not after we cleaned our lives up after we fixed all the brokenness in us after we became moral goody two-shoes but while we were sinners God proved his love for us And Christ died for us. Now, this is good news. This is good news, isn't it? Now, you should just like sigh with relief right now because you don't have to save yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't merit God's favor on your own. And you don't have to because Jesus did it. Now, what God wants from you and from me is to accept that reality and to cling to it, to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. That's all he wants, and to rest there. And until you and I first internalize and accept that, our spiritual lives will be drudgery. Now, my theory is is that maybe a lot of people have walked away from church or walked away from the Christian faith because, and this is probably largely the church's fault, they thought that being a Christian was all about keeping a certain list of rules to keep a God who was always getting ready to blow his top in anger at them. And so they felt that they couldn't do that, and so they left. It was a robot God who gave you an instruction manual. And that is the God that many people leave. But here is a newsflash. That is not. God of the Bible. That is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you think that I'm saying spiritual practices or habits of prayer or good works of service are not all that necessary, please hear me out. They're necessary. Okay? It's on record, I'm saying it. They're necessary. God calls us into lives of certain practices that deepen our relationship with Him. And the church and the Church's traditions have given us a rich treasury of ways in which to do that. But If those practices don't flow from our intimate friendship with Jesus, they'll be burdensome. They'll be burdensome. And probably all of us at some point have experienced that burden because we've tried to do it in that way. Now, before you start your quiet time, here's a question to ask or whatever spiritual practice you're getting ready to do, maybe even before you come to church, you should ask this question, do I understand the reality that I have friendship with Jesus, that I actually have a personal relationship to the living God who doesn't ever withhold himself from me? The temptation is this, to believe in our minds that Jesus is who he says he is, the way, the truth, and the life, and to rarely experience that as a reality. Consider this scenario. Here's what it's like. You don't check your bank account for about six months. And you know there's just enough in there to get by and pay the bills and feed the kids and so forth. And then you go and you ask the bank teller to print out a bank statement. And you find out that shortly after you last checked your bank statement, somebody deposited $15 million into your bank account. Yeah, wow, right? This is what you'd be thinking. Wow, I had access to so much more than I ever could have imagined this whole time. You see, that's what it's like when our eyes are opened to the access that we have, that we have had this whole time as people who are in Christ. Listen to St. Paul again. He's making sure, see, St. Paul knew it was a temptation for Christians, even in the early days, to believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, but to not experience it. And so he actually has this beautiful prayer that he sends to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. This is how he prays for them, because he doesn't want them to fall into this trap of not having the experience of Jesus. Listen to what he says. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. To know the love of Christ... That surpasses knowledge. It's a different kind of knowing. Here's the thing. If we try to become more spiritual, if we try to alter our behavior, if we try to become more successful at our personal prayer life or studying the Bible or whatever it is, without knowing that the love and delight of God rests upon us already because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we will find our spiritual journeys tedious and tiresome. That is not what God wants for us. So here's a challenge for all of us. Something practical to do this week. Give yourself reminders, whether you have to slap post-it notes around your office or at home on the fridge, uh, or set reminders on your phone, give yourself a reminder to just take a minute here or there, 60 seconds, and meditate on who you are in Jesus. Meditate on the words of Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or maybe you just need to open the Gospels and find some words of Jesus that speak to you and just meditate on them. Just do it for a minute. And maybe you do that once a day. Maybe you do that three times a day. I don't know. But I challenge you to try something like this. To remind yourself to live into this reality, not just to accept it in your head, but to ask God to let it sink into your heart, I challenge you to try this and to see what happens. See what might change in the way that you approach spiritual practices, like reading your Bible and prayer. See what happens, see what changes in your attitude about coming to church, see what changes as you read through the prayers of the liturgy, knowing that reality and having that deep implanted deeply within you. Friends in Christ, check your bank account balances. There's more there than you think. Amen.